So we're just in a series at the moment for you who maybe have not been here or maybe you've missed a week. And so we're in this series called A Beautiful Resistance, the joy of conviction in a culture of compromise. Um, This phrase that just as we were praying last year is the phrase that we believe that God wants to instill in our hearts for this year. We're looking to build a counter culture to what the world is saying. And I feel that in our spirits, can you feel that God is shifting something in this nation? Can you feel that? God is wanting to stir in your heart something new because God is raising up Christians who know who they are as children, as sons and daughters of Christ in that authority. They're wanting to understand that so that you may be different in this world. And that we're seeing a resistance that's happening in this nation in the physical. And though there are lots of different thoughts and beliefs, whether it's right or wrong, but regardless, there is a spiritual resistance that God is calling us to. And we're wanting to look at what that means. What does it mean to be a counter-cultural for the common good? The church must arise to its redemptive call. To see people transformed to the way of Jesus. This is our whole vision of why we gather on a Sunday. is because we believe that lives are transformed by the way of Jesus. As we lean into his practices and his ways, we learn his rhythms. We learn to be transformed and thus around us transform. And so, if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So if you have your phones with you, get out your phones, get those Bible apps open this morning. Matthew chapter 11, the words will also be on the screen for you to read along. Let's read this passage. So Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're in difficult seasons at the moment. But Lord, that we know that you are the light, that you are the truth, and you are the way. God, I just thank you for what you've already started to do in our hearts this morning. Wherever we have journeyed from today, whether we're new to the faith, old to the faith, whether we're online this morning, whether we're in this place. God, I pray that you would just unify us right now. Would you just slow us down to be present in this moment? God, would you give us clarity of mind right now to hear the words that you long for us to know, that the truths and the ways of Jesus, Lord, would permeate our hearts and become a rhythm of life, fresh and new for us to adore you. 
God, I just pray for open ears, hearts, and minds. Lord, that the words that I speak, would you move upon them, Holy Spirit? We thank you for all you're going to do in and through this word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So I woke up today because I wanted something. I woke up today because I wanted something. Uh, I had a desire that motivated me. One was to get up early before my three children did, to have that moment of peace before the chaos hits through of who took what, who hit who, as they're getting that bit older and starting to tittle-tale on each other. I want those special moments of where I get that peace and quiet, where I get to draw into the presence of God, that I get to reorientate my heart to what is true against what is not. I also love that I get to be here with you this morning. I love church. I love that we get to draw together in this manner. I love getting to see your faces, smiling and non-smiling alike. I love that we get to just correspond, but I love that we see different people talking, encouraging, that you guys are friends with one another. And, you know, I'm excited that you online are joining us as well, though I know that you're far away right now, that I hope that the love of God permeates through that camera lens on the airwave somehow into your room right now, that we dearly miss you. And if we don't know yet, we would love to get to know you. But we're all motivated by desires. We know this to be true. Desires are a great motivator, right? Um, But we all know that when desires take hold of our steering wheel of life, things go wrong. We know that things go wrong. Desires are impossible to satisfy. Desires are impossible to satisfy. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says this, the eye is never satisfied with just seeing. The eye is never satisfied with just seeing. It needs to taste. It needs to know more. And when it's got hold of something, it wants more and more and more. And we just feel empty even as we consume more and more. Another poet of recent years said this, I just can't get no satisfaction. I just can't get no satisfaction. Cue the music and off we go. Thomas Aquinas, a 13th century Catholic monk, asked this exact same question. What would it take to satisfy our desires? What would it take to experience full satisfaction in this life? And after thinking for a long time, he said this, everything, everything. To experience everything in one moment, just to experience Route 19's food options all in one moment coming through, to experience celebration together, to experience friends all at once and be experienced by other people all in one moment. It's impossible. So why is that? Because our desires are infinite, because you were made for eternity, yet we are finite because of sin. And so we are restless. Dallas Willard has this quote that explains it well. Desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. 
when we fall away from God, the desire for infinite remains, but it is displaced among things that will certainly lead us to destruction. There's this story in the 1980s, this Kemo Suji, a business prodigy in Japan. This guy was a killer worker. And anyone who knows the Japanese work ethic, they are driven. And so he went into a brokerage firm, and uh, the hours that he was given to make these cold calls was between nine and five. But quickly, Kemi realized that this was not enough, and so he changed his hours from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock at night. Relentlessly, he would work seven days a week, seven in the morning till 10 at night. He was celebrated because this wonders of how much he was making and how much he was changing and getting so much business in and through the door. He started to do training on top of his business. This guy was killing it. He was crushing it. And so he carried on, even in the 1980s, when the stock market crashed, when it all fell apart, he carried on going. And when he came to a retreat, he burned so hard that he died. At 26 years old, his heart gave out because he was overworked. We call this the Kuroshi, death by overwork. Because in Japan, hundreds die just because they are overworked. And so we experience this culture of exhaustion, driven by the desire for more. And just so you know, America's number one again. You guys kill it again. I know that everything's bigger and better in America, and so don't worry, you're still number one. Because 37% of Americans take fewer than seven days of vacation. 37%. And only 14% take longer than two weeks. Can I depress you for a bit this morning? So one thing when I moved over here in England, you're mandated to take five weeks of vacation. Right? You guys are like, that takes me like 20 years to get to that five weeks taken off. So after your first year of working in a business, you are entitled to five days of va- five weeks sorry, of vacation. And so when I came over here, I was like, well, that's first culture shock. Americans work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less unemployment, disability, retirement benefits, retire later than people in comparable rich societies. Congratulations, you're number one. But this is driven by the culture of consuming. Culture of consuming. I love at Christmas time, we've just had that joyful moment where we get to celebrate with giving gifts to one another as we give gifts to our kids. And they filled with joy in that moment, right? Love seeing that their eyes light up as they open up and they get that Nerf gun that they wanted, that computer game. I've got a boy, Barbies, Barbies Galora coming through into my house. I grew up with a brother, so this is all new to me. Haircut, makeup, these dolls that that you're able to, uh, I think Elsa and Anna, like doing hair stuff. It's all new to me. But they love it for about 30 minutes. And then it comes with this wonderful little booklet that they open up. And they come to me and show, look, Daddy, I could get this as well. It's like, I've just spent all this money on this right here. What are you looking at this for? 
And it feels like we never grow out of that right. Because if we're honest, Amazon has this wonderful little gift at the bottom. People who purchased this also purchased this. Oh, I must have this. If everyone else is getting this, I better have this as well. And so we're drawn into this relentless need for consuming more and more. Since 1950, American houses have doubled in size. But there is a 2.3, I think 3 billion or more market for storage. Apparently, the size of the storage spaces in America could house every single American with a seven-foot space. That's how much storage we have in America. The average house side holds 300,000 items. That's not included in the Barbie accessories that I find lying around the house or the shoes that are always scattered all over the house. This is why I don't want a fourth, because if I have another girl with all the more shoes that are already accumulating in this space, I might drown in shoes. But it's funny that we have this moment that we're living in because in the 1960s, they said that we as Americans, by 1988, would be working 20 hours a week. Right. Perfect reaction. 20 hours a week. Why? Because we traded time for money. The desire for more will always reign true in our hearts. When your desires are out of whack, when your desires are at the steering wheel of whatever looks good and nice, it will control your life and you will become exhausted. You will become exhausted. This passage that we're looking at today, Matthew chapter 11, is a well-known verse. But in the context of this amazing phrase that we hear and say, come to me all who want rest, Jesus is speaking to a couple of people groups. And he's speaking to the woes of these cities that he's been at. He's done miracles. He's done amazing signs and wonders. And yet they have not turned to the way of Jesus. He's called out uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, uh, Tyre and Sidon. He's called out all these different places and said, woe to you. Because they would not let go of their desires of what they wanted. Even with the cool miracles of peoples being healed, being blind eyes open, deaf ears hearing. Hearing. Wow, that was weird. Hearing. All of that, yet they would not turn to Jesus because they could not deny their own need for their desires. And so, there is a culture of more that we need to rule and reign against. Jesus lays out what it means to have our desires shifted, and the answer is, verse 28, All who are weary, I will give you Rest. And so our title message for today is Rest Must Resist Exhaustion. For all of us to experience fullness of life, we need to be people who rest. To be people who love, well, we've already prayed that today, right? That we need to be people who show unity, who love people who we don't understand. To love our enemy, to love our family, yet we do not practice rest. And so how can we even begin to love other people? 
And I love that Jesus opens with this, that this wisdom that he's about to speak of is hidden from the world because only true rest comes from Jesus alone and the way that he has called us to. I love this quote from John Tyson, the book that is entitled A Beautiful Resistance that we are preaching from. This quote that he has, I often wonder whether this is why the church lacks credibility in our world. Maybe it's not just our big scandals and cultural failures. Maybe it's something much smaller, more common, more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. Maybe we are too tired to model agape, which is serving love, too scheduled to show compassion, too distracted to pray, too much like, and this is the kicker, the exhausted culture around us. See, love takes time. Love takes time. It takes energy. It takes capacity. To see Jesus' love, we need to slow down. To love one another, we need to slow down. I have a question for you. Have you ever met someone or have you ever said, you know when we normally ask someone, how are you doing? The typical words, busy. Do you hear that word a lot? Hey, how's things going? Busy, but good. All the time, busy. Have you ever met someone that came to you and said, you know, I've got so much space in my life right now. I've got so much margin in my life. I'm doing so well. I've got so much capacity to love other people. And for those with young kids, we're like, that world I will never know. I feel that I'm a deep, dark hole, and I just want to survive each day, and I understand But how many of us in life feel, because remember, we're driven by desire of more. We have this eternal desire that can never be satisfied. And so we're always reaching for the next thing. So the question is, how's your yoke today? What are you yoked to? What are you aligning yourself? How are you doing? How's your soul today? Has anyone asked that lately for you? How's your soul Have you even thought about how your soul's doing? How are you doing in a pandemic? How are you doing in racial, in political division? How are you doing? The Bible invites us into a practice, and this is the practice we're going to be looking at for the rest of the time, Sabbath. So I'm going to quickly describe what Sabbath is and how do we bring this practice into our life. And so this summary of practice um, is found by Pete Scazzaro. This guy lives in New York. You want someone who's going to give you a quote about Sabbath who lives in one of the busiest cities around. And it says this, what is Sabbath? Well, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means cease to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for 24 hours. Can I get an amen? It refers to this until uh, unit of time around which we are to orientate our entire lives as holy, meaning separate from the other six days. Sabbath provides for us now an additional rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God, emotionally healthy church. So just a quick two passages I want to look at today. Um, Exodus chapter 20. So flip over there with your Bibles or phones today. 
Genesis, Exodus, second book, chapter 20. This is where the famous Ten Commandments come alive. We hear the first Ten Commandments. So they've come out of Egypt, and God has spoken a new rules or new laws for the way to live. And Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 is this description of the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath. And so just to read these two, um, Egypt, they've spoken out, and we're about to read Deuteronomy as well, so chapter 5. Two different times they've been spoken to the children of Israel. This is the first time, and they've just come out of Egypt. In Deuteronomy, the second time is when the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. And so what I want you to do is have a look at how these texts are different when God is talking about the rhythm of Sabbath. So chapter uh, 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work any work. You or your son or your daughters, your male servants or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you. In your gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that was in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 12. Here again. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servants, definitely not your male or female servants, you guys stop that. Your ox, no more ox, or your donkey. So for you who have chickens, maybe growing in this church, we have a culture of people having chickens. Put your chickens to rest. Or any livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates and your male servant and your female servant may rest as well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So did you see that, what happened in those two differences of passages? First off, I want to observe that work is good. For those in this culture who don't believe work is good, work is good. It was before the fall. God mandated that Adam and Eve work the garden to bring chaos into order. God, work is a God-given thing. And notice the rhythm, the six days and the one-day rest, that if we are just resting all the time, we will not live a fruitful life. Just as much if we work all the time, we will not live a fruitful life. So the first two words there, we had remember was the first part. Remember the Sabbath. But then we see in Deuteronomy, it says, observe, shamar. It means to protect, observe, protect the Sabbath. And so when you observe, we observe a holiday um, in like July 4th or Christmas Day. How do we observe it? We celebrate. So there's that shift, not just remembering in your mind, but taking an action and saying, I'm going to physically stop and observe 
take hold of and protect this day. Secondly, it is moved from creation to salvation. The first one was about the creation narrative. So the uh, children that had come out of Egypt into, the, uh, into Sinai were told that this is a creation mandate because God rested on the seventh day. God alone rested on the seventh day. It's really cool that it had this progression in the Genesis passage. Day, so night, day, night, day, as God was making, but then it stopped on day seven. So when it said the Sabbath, we never saw the rhythm, rhythm of day, night again, because God was setting up an eternal rest. God is wanting and desiring to set up an eternal rest. And so that is his heart. So he tells these people that have come out of slavery, you have an eternal rest that I am longing for you to experience. And so he carries on. And then we see the comparison, the switch. You shall remember that you are no longer a slave. That when we take rest in God alone, that we remind ourselves that we are not slaves. We are not slaves to the culture. We are not slaves to anyone. I know that you guys know this. In this culture, there is a real hold of resistance to not be a slave to any the man. It's almost like a punk rock statement. Kick it to the man is what the Bible is saying. You are a slave to no one. You are a son of God. So why fall into slaveship again? But we are not slave masters either. We don't cause other people to work all the time as well. That we cause rest for other people. Sabbath is coming for you, whether you like it or not. You can work and work until you put yourself into sickness. Or you could apply some of this today and become people of love. I want to be a long-distance runner in my faith. I want to not burn for Jesus, as the common statement was made. I want to run well for Jesus till the end of my life. The greatest miracle that I want to see in my life is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That other people could look at my life and said, he tried his best. He did good with what he had. But he glorified God. That God did amazing things through it. Sabbath is coming for you. And I think in this moment, more than ever, we need this practice with emotional drainage, with the capacity of arguments constantly happening, that we live on eggshells more and more with the surroundings around us. And so God is saying, will you Sabbath with me? And so we're just going to look at what it means to Sabbath. And um, there's this uh, great theologian, Mother Dawn, who has these four components of rest. So again, take out your phones. I would love for you to write down some notes today, because I know you're note takers. I know you're so good at that every single Sunday. And so you can have Facebook on the side while you're listening. But take down these four points today. Four points today. And the first one today is resisting work. Resisting work is the first point. Is that slide there, Tyler? First one. Here we go. Our first point, resisting work. Mother Dawn has this quote about that. On the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God. Instead, have put our lives back into his control. 
Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to the sovereign hands of all things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can truly find truly comforting and healing rest. So resist work. You must cease. Stop worrying about having to produce enough. Refuse to believe that you are what you do. Cease control and consuming, always needing something. One of the center ways, Pastor Craig did an amazing job last Sunday. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, you missed it. Check out last Sunday's message of worship must resist idolatry. One of the first ways that we can resist idolatry is a practice of Sabbath. Idolatry is other gods in our lives, and the biggest God that you have to face is yourself. You are not God. You make a crappy God. You are not, I will keep saying this over and over again, but we all fall into the part that everything rests on me. If as a pastor that I lived with the mentality that your spirituality would matter just upon me, I would be a nervous wreck. I would be straining and striving, making sure that everyone's doing okay all the time. That's just not healthy. It's not healthy to live that way. I am not God. You are not God. And so practicing Sabbath reorientates us to know that he is sovereign, that he is powerful. And so we practice for that truth that you are not God. I am not God. And so we've got to set up boundaries. So me and Rachel, the last past weekends, have been trying this Sabbath practice. Because how can I talk about something without even trying it for myself? And it is not easy. So what we tended to do from uh, so a 24-hour period from about 6, sometimes 8, p.m. on a Friday till the next day, Saturday. Now, that's something the Jewish people actually set up a rhythm of, but it helps me because my work day is Sunday. My first day of the work is Sunday, and my mind just reorientates towards work. Saturday night, I'm mostly preparing for the sermon, praying, just saying, God, is everything that you want in place? And so my heart naturally gravitates towards my work. And so it is not easy to cease because suddenly when that device turns off, All sorts of FOMO comes over my life. Fear of missing out, for those who don't know that. The idea of that I have missed something, or someone needs to reach me, or I need to check in on something. It's amazing how much I want to research. It's amazing how much my phone is tied to everything. The music that I listen to, the quick little tutorial that I want to hear and learn, my Bible is on my phone. Everything is tied to this device that's meant to be time-saving for my life. It's meant to help me in life. But yet, just turning that off for 24 hours, first, anxiety filled my world, but then a sense of peace. I love, Rachel used this phrase that she says, I feel like we're on vacation because no one can get hold of us. Feels nice just turning off and shutting yourself away from the world just to say, you know what? I'm not going to be all things to man, and I'm going to shut down. If someone needs me, God, I pray that you would protect 
And so that I need to bring that in. So ceasing is a key part, that we need to recapture the sovereignty of God. We need to recapture that He is God and Lord of my life, and that I can enter into His rest. I think about the uh, passage, just as I'm uh, talking right here, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, if I can find it right at the back here, there we go, chapter 4. Reminded of just this passage in chapter 4, therefore, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us fear not, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news has come to us, just as to them, but the message they have heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith in entering into that rest. See, rest is faith. Faith it takes to enter into that rest. Because many of you are listening to me right now, and you've got all sorts of objections right now. You're like, that's just not possible. That's not possible for my job and the way that I live. And I'd want to say that Jesus, who was Lord of all, who had all the pressure on the world to be the salvation of the world, took Sabbath. Are you greater than Jesus? If Jesus took Sabbath, if Jesus was intentional about the rest, though he had the weight of the world and the future universe on his shoulders, yet he ceased. How much more do we need to take faith today and to build that rhythm into our lives? Second point as you're taking notes, resting and restoration. Resting and restoration. A lot of you will say in the room, Johnny, I've actually got a really good resting. I'm pretty good at resting, but I think we make a mistake that relaxation is rest. Things may relax you, but they don't renew you. So Netflix, Heartland, Virgin River, Cobra Kai, um, Alone, Stranger Things, with Chinese food or pizza, whatever your vice is, is not restorative. It does not restore your soul. You do not come out the other side saying, my destiny is awakened. I feel empowered to go transform the world. You may be rested, but you are not restored. In fact, the people that did the same study about the 10,000 hour rule, so the rule is that if you apply yourself um, intentionally for 10,000 hours at something, you will become an expert in that matter. So if you spend three hours every single day for about 10 years, you will become an expert. But those same experts have done the same study with rest. If you are not intentional with your rest, if you are just doing three hours here, a couple of hours there, without being intentional, you will not rest. And your body will break down. You will incur sickness upon your life. And you will fall apart. I love this in Exodus 31.17, where God said that he he took six days and rested, and the word that was used, he exhaled. God exhaled at the end of making. He breathed easy at the end of creation. Why do we not think that God is exhaling that big (sighs) breath that came out of God? How much power does it hold for us as we rest and let the restorative breathe easy take hold of our lives. And so we need to get hold of this. What is rest? 
Real rest engages your whole being. And so just a couple of things that we need to realize. Rest incurs your whole being. So a quick couple of tips. Spiritual rest. So instead of doing for the kingdom, enjoy God's gift of being with him. Physical rest. Release the stress and sleep. Sleep. Doctors in this room will advise you sleep is one of the great medicines for the soul. Sleep is one of the greatest things that we can have that brings about wholeness to our lives. Emotional rest. Lower your guard and be ourselves before God. The tension always to perform. We all wear a mask whether you like it or not. And you find that mask because when you come home, your closest family and friends know who you really are. More grumpy than not. And so it becomes tiring always having to be something that we're not. So make sure that you're being yourself firstly before God. Because if you can't be yourself before God, you'll never truly understand what it is to be yourself around others. Intellectual rest. Cease from the stories and the media and the Facebook and the Instagram stories. Stop it. And rest yourself in the truth of his word. Social rest, take a break from having to be on, giving yourself to everybody all the time. Just accept the Heavenly Father's love for you and the friends around you. Doesn't it feel good to be around those friends that you don't have to perform for? Just get to chill in your sweats. I know when we're going to have a good time because the dress code is sweats. We get to wear sweats. Just come over, wear your sweats. We're just going to be chilling out. That's when you know you're friends with someone. But I think we miss something as well from the life of Jesus. As I said, I'm an advocate. I have been an advocate that Jesus is my rest. I've said, as long as I've got rest, we're part of the new covenant. Um, I can always rest in Jesus. I can work, work, work because I've got the power of Jesus inside of me. Anyone listen to that kind of stuff? That I can just keep going because Jesus is my source. He is my strength. But Jesus didn't even model that. As we go to the next page in Matthew chapter 12, we see God, Jesus demonstrate what Sabbath looked like. Jesus, I believe, set, set the uh, arena, the surface that miracles can occur. When we get rest in our lives, when we get Sabbath in our lives, miracles happen. That's what happens. When Jesus, he, he heals the man with the withered hand on Sabbath day. And he's saying, not that work is what it's all about, but when we create an environment where we are restoring, where we can restore other people, miracles happen. Maybe miracles are not happening because we're so busy being God in our lives. Maybe we're not seeing the miracles and the breakthroughs because we are not resting in the sovereignty of God, that we are not being restored and we are not creating an environment of restoration. Because Sabbath is an amazing gift. It's an amazing gift. And when true rest occurs, I believe miracles will pour out. But when you have rested, see this morning, think about what your get ready was like this morning. Was it restful? Did it feel good to suddenly just slowly just ease into your chair? as Abby welcomed us in, and as Joe sang the first song, and you were just like, I am so rested right now. Father, you have all my needs. You take care of me. No, 
If this is your Sabbath day, you most likely had all sorts of chaos coming to your world. And so you're now just about slowing down to receive from God. Because we live at such a fast-paced hit all the time. And God is crying out. And he has taken his hand off this nation and is letting it just go. He still loves it, but it will put itself into the ground. Whether we like it or not, because we need to get hold of this principle of rest. We have got to learn to rest as a culture. I remember when I visited England in 2019, I went back to the business part that I worked on, went back to the business that we worked on, and the stark difference in the atmosphere was crazy. There was so much more rest. There was so much more ease. Literally, I think in America, we live under this culture of constant need to perform and do that being in a different environment, I tangibly felt a difference. It was mind-blowing to me. So restore. Thirdly, remember our true identities. I love in uh, the message version, it says, I won't put anything ill-fitting on you. There's no greater gift than the Sabbath because it brings about true identity. Your work is always forming who you are to be. Your workplace, your one-to-ones that you have, you are being portrayed a message that you are a tool to be used and so therefore um, that you should be the most useful tool. And so to be that most useful tool, we change our identity, we become what the world wants us to be, that workplace, to fit the mold, you know, to provide for our family, for good things, to be a better person, but yet we leave it at that space. And so we let the things that we do transform our identity. Where Jesus is saying when we rest in him, our identity changes. Really cool Bible story, which Don Tyson picks on, on is the disciple of John. So, disciple of John, James and John are known as the sons of thunder. Q-A-C-D music. Na, 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 na. Thunder. Oh, that was... Not many people... AC, any ACD fans? Oh, no, ACD, no. Not enough, okay. Leave that one. Bad joke. Thunder. What a cool wrestling name, though, as well. I love that. It would be called the sons of thunder, these guys called. Because, I mean, we see their personality come out in Luke chapter 9. They've been walking with Jesus. And uh, they come to this town that has rejected him. And they say to Jesus, should we call down fire upon this town? Can you imagine that? You're walking across and you see a town you drive past. They're not loving Jesus. Let's call fire down from heaven down to them. And you can just imagine Jesus going, Guys, I'm here to restore, I'm here to save souls, not burn them up, you know? But we saw the identity. He was a a fisherman. You know, he had the the sons of thunder mentality about him. But as we progress through the Gospel of John, especially in chapter 13, we see this scene where the disciples are breaking out on who's the greatest and all the, of someone that's going to be betraying them and what's going on. And we find in John that John is laying on the chest of Jesus. This son of thunder who has learned the rhythms of rest has rested upon Jesus' soul. I love this quote that John Tyson says, secular slavery becomes spiritual sonship when we rest on Jesus' chest. Secular slavery becomes spiritual sonship when we rest on Jesus' chest. When we learn the rhythms of rest, 
we become sons, not slaves. Final point today, reveling in God's goodness. Jewish uh, theologian said this, Sabbath is the birthday of the world. The festival, not to a single city or country, but to the universe. I love that. That every seven days, the universe celebrates together. During the Jewish festivals, they would have um, certain uh, songs, certain food that would happen every single Sabbath day. See, a lot of us need to celebrate this day. Can we celebrate Sabbath? Do you have a day of the week, every single week, where you celebrate? Some of you do, maybe. Maybe it's going out for drinks or whatever that looks like. Maybe it's spending with friends and family. But do we have a rhythm that not only we've made it through the week, but that we went to celebrate all that God's goodness? Do we revel in God's goodness and grace? This narrative of a God who encourages rest is like no other religion in the world. We're the only religion where God is invitation. He says, come and rest. Taste and see that I am good. We've got to fill our capacity of compassion. And we can't do it if we're just going to keep on moving. We've got to learn to celebrate together his goodness. And so just as I close today, some final thoughts. Jesus welcomes us all. In the Matthew passage, it says, all are welcome. I will give you rest to all. No matter where you are today, all are welcome. And again, what yoke have you attached yourself to? Have you attached yourself that you are God, that you have to be all things to all people? Have you attached it to the desire of more, that I need more in my life, I need to consume, I need to consume, I must have this? God is saying, I want to give you this new yoke. I want to teach you how to walk in my ways that you may be restored. Love this. Rest is spiritual warfare. Rest is spiritual warfare. For you who are warring right now, Rest is spiritual warfare. Exodus 34, God promises, my presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. The secret to this life and how we should be spiritually is not only just a life of prayer, but it's a life of prayer and rest. We can't have one or the other. We can't just rest all the time without prayer. But we can't just pray all the time without enjoying the goodness. I've met Christians who don't rest and they're grumpy, mean people who just trust in the knowledge of God but never experience the rest of who God is. If we want to challenge an idol in your life, again, as Pastor Craig says, we don't bow to any physical idols, but man, we've got a ton of idols in our lives. If you want to test an idol in your life, Cease work, cease to do, and you will quickly find you have some idols in your life that are higher than God's. We want to be shining lights. As our vision for this church is we want to be a transforming people who transform our worlds. If we want to be love, then we've got to learn to love ourselves. We've got to learn to rest. We want to show the world. We don't want to shove it in their faces. We don't want to you know, command them to be this, this, and that. No, if you show a life of rest, people will gravitate to you. They're like, how are you doing all the stuff, but yet you're so peaceful? 
How are you so loving? Man, your life looks different. How can I be like you? Why are you so peaceful right now when there's a pandemic and everyone else seems like in chaos? What have you got that I need? Can we be those people that shine Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Though it is challenging. Though it is challenging. God, you have called us into Sabbath. And it's not a command. It's an invitation. We don't have to follow it. But I feel that if we don't start creating rest in our lives, it will be for our own peril. If we just keep thinking that we can be all things to mankind, the church will collapse. If we feel like in our own lives, our family will collapse. And so, God, you give, gave us this wisdom, this great joy that we get to rest in you. And so, God, I just pray for faith in the room to arise today. Lord, that this could be possible, that people take hold of this message and say, what can I do in my life to create restorative rest? What can I do to not do? How can I be in your presence and learn to rest? God, I pray that this word wouldn't just go over our heads, but today we would make a physical step today to resist work one day of the week. To actually learn what it means to restore who we are. And that looks different for every single person. Lord, I pray that you would speak new identity over us as we rest, that we are firstly sons and daughters that have been given unique gifts. That we are not what we do, but we are who we are because of you. And God, would we even learn to celebrate today? God, I pray for a culture of celebration to come about, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of difficulties. That it wouldn't be legalism, but God, would we find a new rhythm of life that sets us free, that we are not slaves we are not slaves to this world, but God, that you have given us new life. Holy Spirit, we just invite you just in this moment to be still and just let you just move in our hearts now.